Hey everybody, welcome to the Pop My Culture Podcast. I'm Cole Stratton. And I'm the blushing Vanessa Ragland. Blushing because it was such a great episode. I'm so excited for you guys to hear what's coming. Our guest today is, uh, well, I mean, he's amazing. The dream of all dreams. Um, If you guys are anything like us, you love The Princess Bride. Yeah. Uh, And Carrie Elwes, who played Wesley slash the Pirate Roberts, is our guest this week. Oh my gosh, I'm never going to get over it. Now he he had limited time, so um, we kind of, we went about it a little bit different this time so there's a good half an hour chunk of us interviewing about the princess bride and stuff like that so he's the bulk of this episode yeah uh vanessa and i we're just are, gonna open it up up top just the two of us yeah we're gonna do some of the pop culture gossip ourselves yeah um yeah I and mean, there's a first question in there we weren't able to have time to get to the vanessa's questions either, yeah but it's just a little different but uh i think you'll all enjoy i think it. you'll love it because we talk about what we want to hear about let's face it yep. we talk about the princess bride and it's great and he's such a charming lovely gentleman it was yeah, a really was wonderful fantastic. time so it was really fun a little bit of housekeeping and then we'll um, um, get to some silly gossip and then uh, Carrie's interview. Mm. Uh, if you like our show, go to iTunes, leave us a review. Just vote with your heart. But if you have a negative thing to say, maybe just don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're sensitive. <laughs> um, you can also email us. Info at potmyculturepodcast.com. We read them all. We'll write you back. Guest suggestions welcome or comments or whatever. Say yeah. Hi. We got some really good guest suggestions recently. Yeah. Speaking of guests, you guys, uh, we're able to announce a little bit now. Oh, I'm so excited. Uh, we are doing, uh, once again, we're doing a live Pop My Culture at the LA, LA Pod Fest. Uh, it is on Saturday, September 27th at 4 o'clock p.m. at the Sofitel Hotel in Beverly Hills. Woo. The whole thing is three days long. Um, so there's tons of amazing podcasts there. WTF, JV Club, and Gould Hour, like lots of great stuff. Yeah. So um, you can buy single day passes or three day passes. Uh, if you're going to buy passes, uh, go to this particular link because they'll get a little bit of a kickback, which is popmyculturepodcast.com slash podfest. Right through there and they'll kick us a couple bucks back. Also, they are offering a streaming package. Oh, where yeah. Where you can watch, if you're not in L.A., you can watch from your home. It's something like $25, I want to say, um, for the entire weekend. You can stream all the podcasts, including ours. So if you want to get the stream, uh, it's normally $25. You'll get $5 off, so it'll only be $20, and they'll kick some back to us. So please do so. Go to LAPodfest.com slash live and use coupon code CULTURE. That's LAPodfest.com slash live, coupon code CULTURE, and uh, it will be great, and you can watch all the podcasts that weekend, including ours. So, guys, please come and see our show. But our show, here's what it's going to be. A couple years ago, we did it at Riot. We did a Legends of Voice Acting panel with a lot of great people. Well, we're doing another one of those. Oh, my gosh. It's so exciting. We've got some great people. I cannot wait to hear their voices. Yep. So, (laughs) just to let you know who we have on tap, and we're not complete yet. We're going to be adding one or two more. Uh, Richard Horvitz. What? Who is Invader Zim. Uh, He's also in the movie Summer School, for those people that love that movie as much as I do. (laughs) Uh, He is doing it, uh, as well as D. Bradley Baker. Like, who can do anything with his voice. He is a master. A million things, including a lot of different animals and things like that, Yeah, creature sounds. It's crazy. He's fantastic. He's He's Klaus on American Dad. He's in Box Trolls coming up. Yep. 
Uh, a lot of great stuff. And uh, Grey Delisle. Ooh, the, the lady of Grey Delisle. So she's not only is she a great musician um, and actress, but she does a lot of voices on things, too. Uh, Mandy and Billy and Mandy and many other things, too. Uh, so those three and one or two more as well, which we are working to finalize right now. But as of right now recording this, we don't have, like on board officially yet so yeah uh, but it's going to be a lot of fun uh trust us on this go back and listen to the riot episode with maurice lamarch and rob paulson and all those people. i swear voiceover actors are the best to talk to they have such wonderful stories they're so fun and kind and then they can take like they do voices that snap you into your childhood yep. so that's the most fun time ever we hope you come out and see the magic that's right uh, also we are pretty much listener supported it's true we are there's a button on our website popmyculturepodcast.com every little bit helps and we'll give you a shout Shout out on a future episode. And if that ain't a carrot, I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So um, so we're going to kick off this podcast a little differently uh, than usual. Usually our guests would join us right now. Yep. Um, but we're going to take care of some of the uh, gossipy We have to take care of this, you guys. Uh, on our own. All right. So, pop culture. What do you think right. about it, Colt? Um, all right. So here's something that uh, I, have, I have to talk about. Okay, let's get it off your chest. So I don't know if, how many of you remember this. Most of you probably. Surge was a fantastic beverage <laughs> in the 90s. It was basically the Coca-Cola company's version of Mountain Dew. It lasted a couple of years, and then it died, and it went away. Well, it's back, folks. <laughs> That's right. Oh, Cole's so happy I right know. now. Well, He's yeah. ear-punching constantly. <laughs> it's only available on Amazon, strangely. Okay, okay. Uh, a 12-pack of 16-ounce bottles goes for fourteen ninety nine. But they sold out of what the stock that they had. Really? Everybody's really into it. And are you into this? I feel like you might be. I, I, I'm curious. You are. Uh, yeah. You but here's are. the thing. Oh, my gosh. Here's where it gets gross. Uh, it's sold out of stock right now. Uh-huh. And I just replace it. Some people bought cases and now are selling them on there for as much as $249. No. So right now, as it's of yesterday. It's Twinkie Gate all over again. Is. As of Y'all yesterday. Y'all sugar fiends need to get control of yourself. <laughs> as of yesterday on Amazon, if you go at the list price, is 249 No. Yeah. It's crazy. And what Amazon will restock. Wrong they'll make people. more. Coca-Cola is doing this as an experiment. They want to see kind of what it is. Well, Who knows? experiment succeeded. Yeah. They may roll it out into stores. But why would they if they've got this little niche thing going, right? Like, just do this so people feel special and crazy. I'm missing that bone. Like, you've got it. Like, that collector thing. I have yeah. none of it in me. And also, I like nostalgia, but I don't want to have those things that much that I used to have. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I like uh-huh. thinking of it. Yeah. But there's... I just don't have enough room in my place to have things. Right. I, I don't know what part of me is missing, but I, it's a, a void for sure. Like, I, I can't imagine being like, I gotta get that soda I used to drink. Well, what's funny is it basically tastes like Mountain Dew. It's their yeah. version of it. It's not like, if you can drink Mountain Dew, it's very similar. It's not exact. I know some people be like, well, the formula is different, right. whatever. Fine. <laughs> but uh, like, please don't write me a hangry, angry, hangry. Hangry. It would be kind of angry. Yeah. Yeah. Don't write me hangry emails about how they don't taste the same. I get it. They don't taste the same, but they're similar. Um, they're of the same ilk. Whereas like Coke and Pepsi are similar. They do not taste the same, but they are similar. <laughs> I'm glad you're clearing this up. You probably would get angry emails They are both that. colas with Brown caramel colas. coloring. Uh, so yeah, so Surge, and I remember, do you remember the commercials they used to have for those? No. They're like, oh, these in your face, like Surge! Oh yeah. Commercials, oh. yeah. They're like a big deal. Uh, it's like, um, it feels like people that wanted to dress like uh, old school Slim Shady would love to drink Surge. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, all right. Um, <laughs> this is my marketing brain turned on. <laughs> but I mean, I'm all for these kinds of things coming back. I think there's definitely a niche market for them. Yeah. And you know, people, when you, if you grew up on something and you're able to have it all the time, then all of a sudden you couldn't. And then 
decades later, you're able to replicate that experience. Of course, you'd be curious about it. Mm. Now, whether if they brought Surge back full time, I don't I know. I think everyone would get over it. It's yeah, like, oh, it's it back. Would be, it would sell really well for a little while, and then it might disappear again. You know what I'd like? What was that? If they could sell like a smell machine where I could smell my cabbage patch, okay. smell my old Tang container that I kept like my money in, so it was like coins and Tang at the same time, and maybe smell my Hello Kitty wallet. So nostalgia smell. Yeah, that's what I would bid crazy on because it wouldn't take up too much space. Hopefully, I don't know what kind of technology is involved, but I would much rather smell those things in their original state so than buy should, a replica. There should be a setting on there for the Pirates of the Caribbean water. Oh yeah, yeah. I do enjoy that scent. Mm. Maybe strawberry shortcake hair. Oh, that's a good one. That's a really good one. What are some other like that smell? Sure those are my favorites. Ones. I yeah. mean, those are the ones that I think about. I'd like to have that. Oh, and I remember I really liked the way my popple smelled. Okay. Like just burying my face in that popple. Mm. So maybe if they come up with that, I'm in. Did you say, quote, burying my face in that popple? Because that sounds kind of wrong. Mm. <laughs> All right. Well, you, you did mention Hello Kitty in there. And yeah. That's a good segue. Oh, to the right. Fact the that big spoiler alert. Hello Kid, Kitty, you guys, is it's not, not a, a cat. Kitty. What? I love that they feel the need to tell us this. Right. So there was someone was doing this, like, I think it was an L.A. exhibition on Hello Kitty stuff. And they tweeted something about, like, come see your favorite cat or whatever. And then Sanrio was like, no, no, no. But it's like, they acted, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. It seemed like Sanrio acted as if this was known. That Hello Kitty was not a cat. I guess, but everybody but on the internet... But who would ever think that Hello Kitty was not a cat? Because, well, you know, a lot of little girls have whiskers. <laughs> I mean, and huge cat heads. Right. They say and have the human. name Hello Kitty. Right. <laughs> they say it's a human girl <laughs> They act insulted. Kitty. That's like in third grade or something. And going okay. through that difficult time growing up where when you, you think you're, you're a cat, cat for a while. <laughs> oh, those are my cat years. Put those pictures away. Right. <laughs> That's when I was feline groovy. <laughs> and then people kept posting about it, like uh, people that I know, kind of adding to it, like needing to mean something. Like, oh my gosh, this changes everything. Like, really? It's still not real. I sound like well, such a Debbie Downer today. First, the surge. Adorable little cat and all your things. There's different if all of a sudden that's like, that's oh, look, a there's human a dressed up, like, human third grader that's got some. On my panties, issues. because like people <laughs> wear Hello Kitty panties. Right. You know, you yeah. shouldn't be putting a third grader on panties. That's I, I agree with that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Sanrio, atone for the panties. It's just weird to me. It's like, just let that go. Like, let yeah. people let interpret people, it however they want to interpret you've got, it. You're sitting on, like, multi-million dollar little kitty at right. thing. Like, enjoy. Enjoy it. Don't correct us. Let us love the cat. Cabbage Patch Kids were cats, though. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> they were baby cats going through their human phase. Right, exactly. Well, they did have those Cabbage Patch Oh, puppies. Pets. Yeah, well, there's uh, one that was like a cat that I had. Yeah. That was the pet around. I had a dog one. Man, Cabbage Patch dolls, they, they've stayed around, but they're nothing like they used to be. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. They're just so different now. They're like weirdly, I mean, they've always been weird, but they were so perfectly ugly cute when we were kids. You know, I'm wondering is how many people out there do you think that were like really into Cabbage Patch kids when they got their first tattoo got Xavier Roberts' name in cursive on their <laughs> cheek? I think it was just you. It still hurts. <laughs> but I just wonder if people actually have that. I bet if I Google oh my that, gosh. images would come up. Yeah. I bet everyone else is wondering, like, I thought this was the Princess Bride. Right. <laughs> we'll get there, well, guys. Cabbage Patch talk few, right now. be a few minutes. We have to do ten minutes on Cabbage right. Patches. This is a short episode, I fellas. bet people do have Cabbage Patch tattoos, though. Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense. 
Yeah. There's got to be some big fans. Ugh. And they make wigs for babies that make your baby look like a cabbage patch, like yarn hair. Right. Oh, I'm into that. I wish Oliver was a girl. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I love him just as he is, but he'd be so cute in a little yarn wig. I mean, I could still do it, but. Right. I think he'd regret it more than I would. It's probably true. Yeah. Uh, We'll do one last thing and then we'll, we'll get to. Our amazing guest. I can't wait. Uh, the Simpsons. Um, their 26th season is about to premiere on September 28th, I believe. Unbelievable. Um, and that's a Family Guy crossover. Uh, or maybe it's a Family Guy episode. I think it's a Family Guy episode that The Simpsons are on. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, I think that's correct. And you just went to The Simpsons at the Hollywood Bowl, I did. I went to The Simpsons Take the Bowl, which was three days at the Hollywood Bowl. And it was really fun. They really, like, they decorated the bowl pretty crazy. They put all these little cardboard standees all over the place. Of oh, all these different gosh. characters that were very specific to the bowl. Like, I have a picture of Ralph Wiggum holding a bowling ball that says Hollywood Bowl. Oh, um, that's awesome. They had a giant inflatable Blinky the Fish, a Duff uh, beer blimp. They sold in the stores there. They had um, Duff Energy drinks and the giant donuts. That's so awesome. It was cool. It was really fun. They the, So, like, the Philharmonic played along with a lot of stuff. Um, they did a lot of songs from the show. Conan O'Brien did the monorail song. So cool. It was fantastic. John Lovitz did the Planet of the Apes thing that Phil Hartman did. Those two were kind of there to honor Phil Hartman. Yeah. Which, man, I missed that guy. Mm. Um, Beverly D'Angelo did a song as Lurleen Lumpkin. <laughs> Uh, Amazing. It was really cool. Hank Azaria hosted, did a bunch of voices and stuff. Uh, it's kind of a co-host thing. He was the main host, but then Yardley Smith, uh, who was Lisa, mm-hmm. uh, and Nancy Cartwright, who was Bart, and Nelson and other things, uh, they were there as well. How fun does that have to be for those characters? I mean, I know they've gotten to do so much over the insanely long run of the show. Yeah. Like, they've been, they're voiceover actors that have been so appreciated as they've become stars in their own right. Yeah. But, like, to get to play the Hollywood Bowl... That's amazing. It was pretty rad. They did a big fireworks thing at the end because it's part of their like fireworks finale or whatever. So they played like kind of the finale of the Simpsons movie when the dome is being destroyed while these massive fireworks show is going on. Whoa. Uh, and they did some new animated stuff too that was like the Simpsons trying to get to their seats at the bowl and just kept going and going and going. <laughs> it was really funny. It was really cool. I just it was nice to see that many people. They sold out the bowl like three days and that's like seventeen thousand a night or it's whatever. ridiculous. Um yeah, it was really cool. It was really cool. So the crossover's coming up, um, which, you know, it's, it's, I think it's going to be fun. Uh, I'm not a huge Family Guy fan, but I think yeah. that it would be fun to see the two sensibilities matched up, which will be pretty rad. I can't wait. I mean, I'm not, I haven't followed, I, it's so long. I don't follow those shows anymore. Like, I come in on them, you know, but right. I don't need to see everyone. But things like that where it's like, oh, that's such an exciting idea that the animators get to have fun with and everybody... Like, I'm excited to see how that works. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it matches up. Yeah. There's also going to be a crossover in the Simpsons season with Futurama, which is great. That's so cool. Yeah. The same universe, more or less. Yeah. Matt Groening did them both. So that'll be fun to see. Um, you know, you've you've got 550 plus episodes of Simpsons in you. Like, it's okay to occasionally try things. Yeah, I think that are different. you can do some mashups. Make some bold decisions. You know? Yeah. So that'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Oh, my gosh. You've waited long enough. Um, I keep doing that. i got to stop that. Right. Mouth trumpeting. <laughs> it's because I get nervous and excited. Right. Well, you know, a lot of people have instant mouth trumpet. A lot of people don't know that. I've been medicated for it, but I went off my pills because I just didn't feel like myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Without further ado, Mr. K. 
Carrie Ellis. Oh my gosh. Our guest today is a fantastic actor, you know, from things like Hot Shots, Saw, which uh, I absolutely adored Hot Shots. I saw like 94 times in the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his iconic role as Wesley in The Princess Bride, Carrie Ellis is here. Welcome. Thank you. We're so glad to have you. Thank you. Uh, so you have a book coming out, mm-hmm. uh, a fantastic memoir uh, on The Princess Bride, uh, entitled As You Wish, Inconceivable Tales from the Making of the Princess Bride, which right now, guys, it's on pre-sale on Amazon. It's out October 14th. Go and pre-order it. Um, so what was, what was the process for you to, to start making this book? Well, when we had the 25th anniversary a couple of years ago, we were all asked uh, when we went on stage at uh, Lincoln Center to recount our favorite memories from the making of the film. And I didn't think I really had enough time to sort of adequately share how much fun I really had making the film. And and I keep getting asked by fans, as we all do, the whole cast, what the experience was like. And I thought now is as good a time as any since, while my memory was still intact, (laughs) and and to share it. And so I I actually co-wrote the book with the whole cast. That's so um, amazing. Which is great. They all wanted to be a part of it. How did you get that ball rolling? Well, I just asked them, yeah. you know, and we're all, we all stay in touch. And so it was very sweet. They all volunteered and said, absolutely. So, cause I figured, I don't think there's going to be any other kind of making of books about yeah. this film. Right. So this is probably it. Well, it's so yeah. exciting as a fan to find out that the people that were a part of making it had as much fun as you yeah. dream of. Because yeah. sometimes you have a beloved movie and then you'll meet somebody that worked on it and they're like, oh, that was a nightmare. Yeah. No, was, no, we had a great time. We really did. And Rob sort of set the tone yeah. because he's a fabulously sweet guy and very funny. And he has a laugh that I like to say is, can be loud enough, can be heard in Detroit. <laughs> and, uh, and he just he just kept it very light on the set. You know, He made it just a... I mean, like, he would, he would do things like cook hamburgers and hot dogs in his, in his hotel suite for us. Oh, you know, wow. Four nights a week. <laughs> Just and typical that, director. Yeah, <laughs> which is kind of cool, because you all kind of end up becoming like an extended family, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, most directors don't do craft service duty as well. No, that's, <laughs> no but Rob was not a fan of the British food. Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> It's not like it is now, where you have celebrity chefs all over the place. Back right. then, you know, we were in the hinterlands of England and... Uh, I think our producer, Andy Scheinman, was went to the front desk when we checked in and said, what's the best restaurant in town? And the uh, front desk guy said, we don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> well, think, we'll be here for 17 minutes. That was pretty answer. much, that was, he was honest. <laughs> and so it was up to us to sort of figure out. So I think Rob ordered a hibachi and started cooking in it. <laughs> in his hotel room. That's fantastic. <laughs> so you had kind of an unusual audition for this, right? How did that come about? Um, I was shooting a film in Berlin called Mashenka. It was a little Finnish German British co production, loosely based on, on the life of Vladimir Nabokov. And I had f- made a film with Helena Bonham Carter a year earlier called Lady Jane. Mm-hmm. Rob had seen the movie, and I think the casting director told him to watch it. And she said, because they were all out of, they'd met a lot of actors and they really couldn't find the guy to play Wesley. And she said, you know, this guy looks right and if you like him you should go see him he's shooting a movie in Germany and uh, Rob watched and he said you know he looked right but I didn't know if he had the sense of humor to play the, the role because he it was kind of a tongue in cheek role yeah. and um, he flew to Berlin with Andy Scheinman to meet me that's amazing which is amazing I mean the fact you know two Jews flying to Berlin that's <laughs> I knew that's a compliment that's, of the I highest order I knew they yeah. were serious you know <laughs> um, so uh yeah, I had a wonderful meeting with them. They made me read for it, which I was very depressed about because I, I, I'm terrible at reading. But, you know, it went off great, and somehow, I don't, I don't know how it happened, I think. 
Bill Cosby came up and I ended up doing a Fat Albert impersonation, which I'm not going to do for you now. But, oh, my God. But, um, but it, was, it was like that. We just laughed and had a good time, and, uh, and that was it. About a, a few days later, I got the call. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, what was the fencing training like for this? Because there's quite a bit of swordplay in the film. Yes, a great deal. We pretty much hit the, the, the ground running on that. Had you fenced before? No, never. I mean, I'd done a little bit of sort of sword play at acting school. But mm-hmm. Rob wanted both Mandy and I to be the two people doing the sword fight as opposed to stunt doubles or stand-ins right. or anything like that. So he hired two of the best sword trainers that in England at the time. One was Bob Anderson. They're both passed away now, sadly. But one was Bob Anderson, who was... Uh, who was on the Olympic fencing team in the 50s, and, uh, and the other was uh, Peter Diamond, who was an incredible sword master. And they both work with Errol Flynn and Burt Lancaster. And, I mean, they so had their, their, their resume is insane. I think uh, Bob Anderson did all the Darth Vader's lightsaber stuff. And, yeah. And Peter Diamond was the uh, Tuscan Raider in the original Star Wars. That was him. Oh, nice. and my so, gosh. You know, they were very cool guys. No and pressure. No pressure. Boring. And they were, very, they were very adept, by the way. I mean, my gosh, they could disarm anyone in a second. They were really that cool. Wow. And um, so Bob went and trained, took Mandy and trained Mandy, and Peter trained me, and then we'd swap around, and I'd learn Mandy. Bob would come and train me and teach me Mandy's part. Wow. And then Peter would go and teach Mandy my part. And then so they wanted us to both know each other's sequences, so that there was no room for error. Wow. And we, we, we trained for about two months straight. Mandy had already had two months training in, in, a, in New York, in upstate New York, before he arrived. So he was already kind of way ahead of me. <laughs> <laughs> now, was there... I read somewhere that uh, you were filming a sequence, but it didn't really work for the camera, so you had like a little, a very limited amount of time to try to switch it? Yeah. Um, actually, I'd forgotten about that, and it wasn't until I saw Man, Mandy what he'd written. The sword fight ended up being too quick by the time we showed it to Rob. And so Rob told us to go back and add another two minutes to the fight, which we did. No problem. No problem. <laughs> um, and then can, and we added this, this sort of ruins of a tower, of a castle tower on the set to have us go up these steps and fight at the top and we push over a bit of the foundation of it and what have you. As we were blocking coming up the steps, it appeared that part of the fight wouldn't be visible to the camera because of the way that we staged it. And so Bob Anderson said, gosh, what are we going to do? And Man- Mandy said, well, go tell him, Rob, go tell him. And Bob said, no, I can't do that. <laughs> and Mandy said, well, then we will. And you come with us and we'll go and tell him. Because, <laughs> you know, Rob said, well, whatever, we'll just go around it. And, and, and we thought, you know, we've worked this hard. We want to make sure that everything we do can be seen by the camera, yeah? So Rob said, we don't have time. We don't have time. We're shooting it now. And uh, Mandy pleaded, and he said, look, we can do it. <coughs> Just give us a little bit of time. And he goes, okay, you've got 20 minutes. So we went back and restaged the whole going oh up the steps. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Right there on the set. And I think that's kind of a testament of how, how well we, how far we'd come, you know, yeah. as students that we were able to, on a dime, just totally change it up, it up. Yeah. and how much you care about the project yeah. I mean that's really wonderful to well you have to you have to you know it's you know the whole point of the fight is to be able to see it yeah right? you know and, and if, if the camera can't get it then well and I read yeah. in the script that the description of the fight 
that when you, the actors got the script is like the first one is the second best Ford sword fight of all time. Right. And oh my gosh, yes. that must feel crazy. It's to a look bit at. of pressure. <laughs> and I haven't fenced before. Right. So and none of us were left handed. I'm not still not left handed, you know. So just getting the right handed part was stressful. Oh my gosh. And then the day came when they, they said, Okay, now we're, you got that, now we're switching over and that was pretty intense. So. Have you continued any kind no, of fence? No. no. <laughs> Well, I mean, part of the thing that makes the movie great, well, actually, the main thing is the script by William Goldman, who's yes, absolutely amazing. amazing, the book and everything. Had you read the book growing up and stuff? Yes, I read it when I was about 13. Um, my stepfather had a copy in his library, and he gave it to me. And I loved it. I thought it was hilarious, both the fact that it was Goldman telling the best parts of the story as it was told to him by his father, and uh, and then all of this fictitious look at Goldman's private life. Yes. Yeah writing and his agents and the whole thing it was hilarious mm-hmm. i remember being incredibly blown away by his sense of humor because most of the books i'd read up until that point not, none of them have been humorous really and i loved it yeah and so i and then i put it away and i thought well this is a great book this will never be made into a film <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. right and sure enough you know 10 years or so uh later but uh, you know more than that um and in that time goldman had tried to make the film you know, I think with a bunch of different bunch of directors, directors right? Robert Redford tried to direct it, and, and John Borman, Norman Jewison, um, Dick Lester, who did uh, Hard Day's Night, right? Yeah, Francois Truffaut, one That's of my favorite directors. Amazing. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. All these people tried to get the film off the ground and couldn't get it made. And and Goldman was so depressed, he bought the the rights to his um, book back from the studio. Oh wow! With his own money which I don't think anyone's ever done before or done right, since. Right. You know? um, just because he said, you know, only now, now only I can screw it up, you know? And he'd kind of given up on it mm-hmm. until Rob went and met with a studio head after he finished uh, Stand By Me. And, and he was on a major role at that point, you know, after Spinal Tap. And the head of the studio said, you know, what movie do you want to make? Anything you want. Anything at all. And Rob went, um, well, I want to make The Princess Bride. And the studio head said, anything but that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he said, that, that's absolutely out of the question. And Rob said, but why? You know, it was one of, my, it was one of his favorite books growing up, too. His father, Carl Reiner, had given it to him as a kid. Right. So we wow. kind of bonded on that level, too. That's you know, amazing, We both yeah. knew the book. And the studio head had said to uh, um, Rob, well, you'll never get the rights anyway. Bill Goldman will never let anyone make it. So good luck. And, uh, and he bust out and his And he went down and bust out his hibachi. No, he went, over to, mm-hmm. he went and got a meeting with Goldman over at his apartment and um, convinced him to let him make the film. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard enough to get anything made, period. Anything. Especially something like that that's a source material that's beloved but very complex and really hard to get the Well, and just right. that has the yeah. uh, air on it that it, we've tried this before and it right. hasn't worked. Sure. That's um, a lot of pressure. Yeah. And a lot of pressure on Rob, too, because he's, he was on this massive role. I mean, yeah. Spinal Tap was already becoming like a cult film. Yeah, Spinal you know. Tap, sure thing, Stand yeah, By you know, Me. All stand By Me. Time. Those are real, movies, yeah. right? Yeah. And all very different genre Very different. Wise. Always, no, I mean, always that's mixing so it up. so amazing. Yeah. And, you know, you look at the rest of his work, Misery, everything, always mixing it up. Yeah. So you know? smart and so funny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you get some, like, some directors get, like, kind of pigeonholed and have to do the same thing. Like, M. Night Shyamalan has to do a twist ending every yeah. time. <laughs> right, right, right. They get stuck into that. And Rob's yeah. just always been amazing at yeah. stuff. It's so varied and so fantastic. Yeah. 
Because yeah. he cracks down to what people are instead of just like a style or a joke. And yeah. I think that's why there's so many cult hits because yeah. you feel so, it feels such like a personal relationship with yes. the film. Yes, right, you know? that's right. And when you read Goldman, you feel like it's a personal relationship with, with you and the author. Yes, it feels it's so like intimate. He's to- it's intimate. Yeah. It feels yeah. like he's talking to you right there. It's and that's very- why it feels so timeless, yeah. too. Yeah, I right? mean, it's such a timeless it movie. It is kind of, right? My sister had the... Um, Cassette tape. Okay, with, sure. And I would always hear it like she would like storm home, <laughs> like in a mood, in a teen mood, and slam the door. And then I would hear from her bedroom, no, 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 no. Hillary's in her happy place again. <laughs> That's hilarious. And then that became my happy place as That's a great. teenager. You That's know, great. and now it's the kind of movie I can't wait to be able to That's show great. it to our oh, son. It's That's just great. like a wonderful fairy tale, but with so much human heart. That's timeless. Okay. Yeah, it was fun. We had a good time. I think it was made with a lot of heart. And it was written with a lot of heart. Yeah. So it came from a good place. Yeah. And then a perfect storm of casting. Yeah, no. It was a tsunami. Yeah, I call it a is... tsunami of talent. Right. <laughs> uh, I mean, Andre the Giant, absolutely phenomenal in it. I mean, that's a hard role to try to find someone to do. Period. Yeah, it's not like you... you put out a casting call for a giant and get a hundred callbacks. Right, right. And it, there's only one giant. It was Bo- Bill Goldman who said to, to Rob, you know, you should check out Andre. Because He's the giant in He town. is pretty much the only giant you're going to find. Right. And uh, they had a hard time tracking him down because, he, you know, he was incredibly busy. The guy, you know, was doing bouts of wrestling almost every other day during the year. I mean, the guy wow. was booked out. Right. Booked out. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, and he'd, you know, he'd done a bit of television. He did um, Six Million Dollar Man, I think, and BJ and the Bear. And I think he made a, an appearance in Conan the Destroyer as a, as a favor to Arnold, mm-hmm. <laughs> who actually, ironically, was originally cast as Fezzik in, really? in Norman Jewison's version. Yeah. Oh, sure. my wow. gosh. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah, and couldn't raise the money on, on that. <laughs> <you know? laughs> But, yeah, and so they found him in Paris, and uh, they gave him a, a little scene to read, and uh, he read it, and Rob said I could barely understand a word he was saying, but he, I loved it. <laughs> um, and Rob said, you got, you got the job. Oh. You know, and they put, they put his part down on tape for him, and so he would wander around the set listening to a Walkman, and all of his lines were on it, and he just literally, Rob gave him the read, line reading for every single line. And he learned it that way. It's perfect. Yeah. Now they would probably do CG or something like that. And it just feels so magical watching it. I can't believe they went to Paris for him, Berlin for you. They were on like a... They were all over the place, everywhere. Everywhere. Tour. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's phenomenal. Um, I mean, the whole cast is fantastic. Um, It must have been really fun to watch Billy work. Crystal on set, too. Crystal uh, uh, made Mandy break a rib. Oh, but bruise a rib from laughing so hard. Um, is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. No, he made us all laugh. I didn't think he did it on purpose. I know. <laughs> you know. I mean, look, he only had three days of shooting on the whole thing. And Rob basically said to him, just, you know, to go, go for it. And he started doing, you know, medieval Yiddish stand-up. Right? <laughs> and uh, I'm supposed to play, you know, dead on the table. Literally, I'm not yeah. Allowed. And Rob came up to me and goes, you can't move. You can't even <laughs> breathe. You can see your chest moving. <laughs> So I'm not even allowed to breathe, forget giggle or anything, right? <laughs> and, 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 and I know Billy was doing it on purpose. Even when he pushed my chest to see if I was you know, breathing, he was kind of tickling. <laughs> and so Rob was the first to go. 
And because, as I say, his laugh is, can be heard in Detroit, so the sound guy banished him for the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> they, put a, they set up a monitor out in the hall outside the sound stage. And then I was a second to go, so they replaced me with my rubber dummy on the table. <laughs> so that's who's in that scene. And I went and joined Rob in the hallway. And I just we ended up watching the scene from there. Oh, my gosh, you know? that's so amazing. It's crazy. Fantastic. And Christopher Guest, too, absolutely. I mean, really bad villain, but he's hilarious. Person. Hilarious. So that must have been pretty crazy Hilarious. As well. Hilarious. When we watch the playback, when he sees Montoya for the first time and Indigo recites that line, hello, that whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. Rugen has a moment where he freezes and then he runs away, <laughs> right? And, and when we watch the playback, Chris sort of added a little fart there. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, off camera for us. And we all just fell on the floor. And all of us wanted him to, you know, we said, Rob, we should put that in, in ADR, you know. And Rob was like, no, no, that's too much. But it was hilarious. I mean, it was that kind of thing going on. And now the movie, like, when it first came out, it did all right, but it wasn't a giant hit. But later it found its audience, obviously, as it's absolutely beloved now. Has the response to the film over the years really been surprising to you, or is it something you oh, kind it's of It's unbelievable. No, we had no idea, you know. I mean, <clears throat> when it came out, it did decent business but not overwhelming I mean you know Fatal Attraction came out a week earlier and just made a gazillion dollars you know and uh, we kind of quietly went away and we were very depressed by that obviously because we put a lot of hard work into it we we thought it was sweet and cute but the studio had no idea how to sell it yeah you know was it an adventure film was it a fairy tale was it a kids movie was it an adults movie was it a family movie was it a comedy yeah what was it and of course it's all those things it's, they, yes they, mm-hmm. they, they had no idea how to you know they, they only know how to sell one genre they, can't, right. they don't know how to sell different genres on, in one movie you know so um, it really as, like your sister it, people started when it came out in VHS people started renting it yeah. and then buying it and then giving it to their family and friends as gifts and that's how it took off it was almost a decade later after it came out it's amazing. Oh, really? There was that much lag time? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I think 80s late was when VHS right. came around, right? Yeah. 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 Well, let's see. Film came out in 87. Yeah. Was it a decade after that? I don't know when VHS started. It was sort mean, of felt VHS like... VHS started in the early 80s, but it was like prohibitively expensive, and not a lot of people had players. Right. So I feel like the home video market really took off in the early 90s. Early yeah. 90s. So it was... Um, yeah. Not, maybe not a decade. Wow, maybe, that's funny to not realize yeah. that it was going to like have that kind of life. Because I came to it, you know, when I was probably... The first time I watched it, I was probably like seven. But it seems like a movie that was popular immediately. You know, in my brain, it's like, well, that's always been a huge hit. Right. Because it's such... Such a cult classic. I don't have a friend that doesn't adore the movie. Yeah. You know, it's so, so beloved. Yeah, I mean, when I saw, I saw it in the theater, and at the time, you know, I didn't really have. I think I was like twelve. Right. Uh, so I didn't really have a concept of like box office. It's just to me like, oh, our, there's a lot of people in the audience when I saw yeah. it. We all loved it. So oh, it's great. a giant hit, right? Yeah, and then right. didn't understand the whole like, oh, but it only played for a couple of weeks. It didn't right. like hold over like Three Men and a Baby did. Right. Going and going. Because 87 was a pretty crazy year for movies. If right. you look at the list of everything sure. that came out, there's a lot of movies that are like classics now mm. that at the time it was a pretty loaded year. Yeah. Um, and Princess Bride was like one of you know the best of those years. Yeah. Three Amigos came out that year too. Just yeah, a lot great of, movie. A lot oh, of great funny comedies and stuff. Fantastic stuff. So you did, um, and I was lucky enough to be at the LACMA live read that Jason Reitman did yes. of Princess Bride, where you got to actually, this time... Do Humperdinck. Be Humperdinck. That must have been very confusing and weird. Right? 
<laughs> it was very strange. Have you recovered? Yeah, well, not really. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it was sweet, though. I mean, the fact that, that Jason is such a fan and, and, and put that together was so sweet and great. And uh, it was nice. Rob came and Fred Savage. Um, yeah, it was fun. It was really cool. I mean, the cool thing about these is they have the idea is that different act, they have different actors read it to reinterpret or whatever. But the, he right. let Fred Savage be Fred Savage. Mm-hmm. Was pretty hilarious. But um, and Nick Kroll does an amazing Christopher Guest impression. Yes, it's, it's <laughs> so dead on. It's, yeah, it's kind of scary actually. Yeah. It's hard to do Chris Sarandon though. I, I was having a tough time with right. it. But, but anyway, it was fun. We it was really time. cool. It was really cool. Um, so the book, uh, it's October 14th, as I've said. Yes. Uh, Rob wrote the foreword for it. Yes. Um, it's contribution. Norman the Lear. Cast. Norman Lear wrote the epilogue. So amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's great. It's a love letter to the film, really, and to the cast, and how much fun we all had. You know. Right. Well, I'm so glad that the book's coming out. I can't, I can't wait to read it. I know. Thank you. Uh, we do a first question every podcast, a different first from life. And we thought okay. we'd tie this in since you played the Dread Pirate Roberts. Okay. One of many people evidently been the pirate. <laughs> uh, what was the first pirate-related thing you can remember being into as a kid or anything like that? Um, it was Errol Flynn in The Adventures of Robin Hood. Yeah. I, I loved that film as a kid. <clears throat> and uh, I watched it quite a few times. I had kind of a thing for Olivia de Havilland. How could you not? I mean, she Ooh. was really beautiful. It was great. It was it was really swashbuckling, yeah. you know. And Flynn was at the peak of his career at that point, and obviously very comfortable wearing tights, <laughs> flying through the trees on vines and things like that. And, Little did you know. And it was great. <laughs> and the fight with Basil Rathbone was fantastic. And so, yeah, little did I know that 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 absorbing that film as a kid was in a very useful thing for me that would come in handy later on. Right. You know? For many iconic roles yeah, of yours. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. fantastic. What about you, Vanessa? That's actually it? mine, too. My dad's a big Errol Flynn fan. Is he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I watched that movie a lot as a little, little girl, and I just love, like, the adventure and the magic it's of it. It's great, it's right? All, yeah, it was, it was so exciting, and I had a big crush on Errol Flynn. Uh-huh. Right. How could you not? <laughs> there oh, you my go. goodness. <laughs> I'm watching <laughs> just talking about it. <laughs> For me, it was... Um, I, Treasure Island was my favorite book. Treasure Island. So yeah. when I read that, I was just, like... I'm in, I just blew up in my mind. I was so into it. Robert Newton. Yeah, mm-hmm. so so good. And then, uh, well, then when I would go to Disneyland, parts of the Caribbean kind of tied into my Treasure Island love sure. too. So those two things combined, I was just super into. I'd watch those things over and over and over again. And Treasure Island, I feel like they keep trying to reboot it every couple of years, and then yeah. it tends to end up going to cable or whatever. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and for some reason, it hasn't really ever caught fully on. And so yeah. it's always been filmed so many times. Well, it was. Th- I think the best one was Newton. It was yeah. so good. Yeah, I agree. And it's tough to sort of beat that yeah you know totally you know the Muppets have done it <laughs> you know <laughs> pretty well yeah you know, I did enjoy the Muppets but uh, and you know no offense against Kermit and the boys <laughs> they were great they were great <laughs> I think it's been sort of done yeah, yeah. you know I agree with that and legs help you know yes. Muppets don't have legs yeah. on them so. that's true that's true <laughs> uh, one thing I, didn't, I forgot to ask about on Princess Bride the rodents of unusual size yes uh, <laughs> this is back in the day when stuff wasn't CG thankfully so yeah. there yeah. was actually a rodent of unusual size that must have been pretty interesting to film well we had a guy God bless him a uh, <laughs> little guy named Danny Blackner he was a stuntman as well as being an actor he'd, he'd done a couple of movies he was an Ewok in, uh, in one of the Star Wars films and uh he uh, he had a special car that he drove, you know, because he, he couldn't quite reach the pedals, so they had like he had like a piece of wood tied to his foot, and he sat on like a 
a bunch of uh, books in his in the seat, and that's how he got around. And wow. he was—he's a great guy, hilarious. He had like—I never forget—he had earrings up and down one ear, and that was way before anyone was doing that. Yeah, you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Now totally. it's everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but back then it was kind of novel. And we looked at him. And we're like, this guy's like a little punk. He's cool. He's cool you know. Right. He was very funny, and. Uh, when it came to shoot the sequence where he had to fight me and, and, and the rodent had to bite my neck and the whole thing, he, he was a no-show. <gasps> so there was a kind of a panic because we only had the one day to shoot it. And uh, so I arrived on the set to find Rob and Andy Scheinman and the production manager and all the ADs in a, in, a, in a huddle in a conference. I said, what's up? And they said, well, Danny, there's Danny. We can't find him. I said, well, what are we going to do? They said, well... We have to come up with something because we can't come back here tomorrow. We're actually off this set. I said, well, what, what's the alternative? And they went, well, you're going to have to fight a rubber rat. And I went, that's... Oh, no. No, no, <laughs> no. Not a rubber rat. <laughs> Anything but a rubber rat. <laughs> so for, you know, for a good two or three hours, you know, we, we, we shot a bunch of footage. I don't know where it is. A ridiculous footage of me wrestling with a... With a <laughs> foam rubber rodent it was just ludicrous none of it worked i mean as much as rob was trying to put a <laughs> positive spin on yeah. it right you know finally around four o'clock danny shows up and we stopped shooting of course everyone mm. ran over to see if he's okay you know and he started to tell the story about it. he you know he'd gone to the pub the night before and he had, had a you know he tied a few few one had a few drinks whatever with his mates and he was driving home and he got pulled over and the cop made him get out of the car and take the wood off his shoe. And, <laughs> and the cop was kind of, a, you know, had it in for him and, and said, you know, I'm, have you been drinking? He goes, yeah. And he goes, you know why I'm arresting? He goes, no. He says, well, you were going too slow or something like that. I can't remember what it was. And, uh, and starts to book him. And Danny says to the cop, no, you can't. You can't book me. Um, you can't take me down. I, I've got to go to sta- soundstage. I've got to go to the studios. I'm filming a movie. And the cop said, oh, yeah, what, what film are you making? Because I'm making A Princess Bride. All right, well, what part are you playing? I'm playing a rat. He goes, right, back of the van. <laughs> you know, he just, he just, he'd heard enough, and the poor guy spent the night in jail. Oh, my wow. gosh. And, of course, it was before cell phones. He, you know, he oh, couldn't yeah. call or anything. So we didn't, you know, he didn't get in touch with the production office until much took a long time to go bail him out. Yeah. <laughs> and the poor guy had been through an ordeal and he was ready to roll. You oh, know, God wow. bless him. He, he came back and he was ready to roll and we shot the scene and that's, that's in the movie. Oh my gosh, that's, that's amazing. I'm glad he got glad out. He got out. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. All right, well, everybody, please uh, pre-order the book. Uh, it's out October 14th on Amazon. As you wish, Inconceivable Tales from the Making of the Princess Bride. Carrie, thank you so much for being here. Thank this you. wonderful. Thank, thank you so much. Uh, and also, you're on Twitter. Uh, it's at Carrie underscore Ellis. So uh, follow Carrie as well. Um, I'm on there as well, at Cole Stratton. I'm at Vanessa Ragland. The podcast is at PMC Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks for being here, Carrie. Thank you. Subscribe to the Pop My Culture Podcast on iTunes. Check us out online at popmyculturepodcast.com and follow us on Twitter at PMC Podcast. Thanks for listening.